This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Well, I don't know how things are in your neck of the woods. I would imagine a lot of us are going through some of the same things across the country as everything shuts down, restaurants and drive throughs are now available, but you can't get into the dining rooms at places like McDonald's or Chick-fil-A. And you can't go into the grocery store and find what you need necessarily because all of the shelves are stripped bare of things like canned goods and bread and, of course, toilet paper and paper towels. I had the weirdest experience over the last couple of days, several experiences, in fact. I went to a gas station and I was trying to buy some milk and I was chatting with this older lady and she started quizzing me on where I could possibly help her find toilet paper. I'm like, when did I become the toilet paper finder? I don't know. You just have to look around and ask maybe when toilet paper will be coming in. I mean, the conversations that we're having are insane, but probably the most insane thing that's happened to me in the last few days is I had to go to an outpatient center for medical treatment for one of my children. And as we walked into the waiting room, there were several people there. And they said, we want to take your temperature, both of you. So we both had our temperature taken. My temperature was 97.7. And then the woman at the desk proceeded to tell me, you'll need to wait outside in the parking lot for 90 minutes until your child's procedure is done. And I said, well, what was the purpose of taking my temperature if I was going to be banned anyway? I don't really see what the purpose of that was. So this is life in coronavirus times. And I realize that it is serious and that we need to take precautions as needed. And we need to really kind of dial it down for the last you know, next couple of weeks, at least, which isn't all bad. And that's another angle to all of this. It isn't all bad. It's been great to have everybody home and to spend more time with a family. That part of it is a real upside. It's a little bit in some ways like a blizzard that snows you in and then you have time. And you can spend time together with the people that you love. So that's the upside. The downside, of course, is containing this virus and the spread of the virus across the United States. We don't want anybody to get sick. We certainly don't want anybody to die, although people have. I guess we've now had the 100th victim of coronavirus in the United States. And that's terrible. Nobody wants that. But at this time, we're not seeing the hundreds of millions of cases that some people have been prognosticating. What really kind of bugs me, though, is... The draconian federal proposals that are now coming down the pike, I'm not surprised by this, but it does dishearten me a bit sometimes when the draconian stuff comes from the hands of Republicans. But this is via Politico. The Senate is crafting a new massive coronavirus package at warp speed. This could be in the trillion dollar category. John Thune, the Senate Majority Whip, said yesterday there's a high level of interest among Republicans for a Trump administration proposal to send as many as two $1,000 checks 
directly to individual Americans to help respond to the economic slowdown, a move that could cost an estimated $500 billion, according to some sources in the GOP. Stephen Munchen for the Treasury Secretary made a pitch for the initiative at a lunch yesterday, part of an $800 billion plus package being floated by the White House that also includes as much as $250 billion in emergency loans for small businesses that are being hit by the economic slowdown. I, I just have to say, for a lot of us, as much as we want things to be safe for everybody and we don't want to be haphazard in how we behave, we certainly would love to be able to contain and start to see the numbers of deaths and coronavirus cases going down over the next couple of weeks. I think most people are pretty willing to say, fine, I'll cut back, whatever. But there are a lot of us, and I have to admit I'm one of them, saying, is all of this absolutely necessary? Yes, I don't want to see people getting together in groups of 500 people and throwing caution to the wind. That does concern me a little bit. But it also concerns me on the other end that we're doing overkill. If we see the elderly as being the most at risk of this coronavirus, how much is doing is being done really to help the elderly in particular? Um, what can you do? I guess you know, who knows? I'm not the president. I'm not in the federal government. But some of this stuff just seems over the top to me. And I, I was actually a little bit happy to see that some of these Republicans are pushing back against this idea that the Trump administration is pushing all of this money. There was this lunch meeting yesterday. Republican senators pushed back on two key points, according to The Hill, distributing direct cash payments to Americans impacted by the coronavirus crisis and providing tens of billions of dollars in economic assistance to the ailing airline industry. Again, we're bailing out the airline industry. This is sort of shades of 2008, isn't it? We're going to bail out these banks and we're going to stimulate the economy. And it's just billions and billions and billions of dollars. And a lot of us who remember the events of 2008 said, well, maybe if you hadn't done such dumb policymaking in the first place and giving loans to people who could never pay them back and giving out easy money, none of this collapse would have occurred in the first place. That was one scenario. This one involves a virus that got out of hand because communist China and its dictator didn't even acknowledge the coronavirus six weeks into what they were going through. And now they're talking about potentially cutting off medical supplies to the United States. So we should have more totalitarianism here. I'm going to get into some of that in a minute. But senior administration officials also heard criticism of the proposal that Munchen negotiated with Nancy Pelosi to provide up to two weeks of paid sick leave for the employees of small businesses. Lindsey Graham, for his part, the Senate Judiciary Committee chairman, objected to the administration decision to prioritize direct payments to Americans to juice up the faltering economy, which he called money wasted. He said it won't help the economy just throwing money at a problem. I don't know why giving $1,000 on top of their paycheck makes any sense now because there's no economy to participate in. I'd rather take that money and shore up health care systems. He's making a good point, isn't he? Here, take $1,000 and go spend it in the economy. This is kind of the 9-11 mentality. Just spend it, and the 2008 mentality. Just spend the money, spend the money, spend the money. Get the economy to go. Like Get the economy to go. Well, if you've shut down everything, what are we supposed to spend our money on? Canned goods that are stripped from Walmart shelves? Honestly, 
What what do you want people to spend $1,000 on? And do you really think that the majority of Americans are going to wisely spend free money given to them by the government? Or do you think that perhaps a good portion of, of it will be wasted? And how much of it will really revive the economy? If you're talking about a trillion dollars, that's a trillion dollars in spending money that we don't have. Let's look at the debt. I'm not saying that I have a great solution here. But I can look at this particular proposal and say, is this just a way to make sure the economy doesn't falter so Trump doesn't lose in November? And and I'm not against Trump, but I'm just looking at this from a political standpoint. Is that really what is behind this? You can't say no. The administration officials also ran into strong Republican pushback on a proposal to bear, bail out the airline industry, as I mentioned before. The airline's earlier this week, Monday, asked for $50 billion in economic assistance to make up for a a big drop in travel because of federal warnings and guidelines. Uh, Richard Shelby from Alabama said a lot of us are against a bailout. I brought it up. I said loans, yes. They have a lot of collateral. Collateralize the loans, make sure they're paid back. As far as writing a check for bailout, I'd be totally against that. We're not even that far into the crisis either. This, you need $50 billion already? And then that makes me wonder, are you going to come back for another $50 billion in another week? How much money have the airlines really lost due to the coronavirus? How many people have actually canceled flights? How many people actually have not shown up for flights? I'm sure it's considerable. I know it's considerable. But is it $50 billion worth of considerable at this juncture? Uh, I'm not really sure it is. And I... I I worry about these sorts of things because we already have a government that is deeply, 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 deeply in debt. And at some point, when is that bubble going to explode? Do you see what happens is you build a crisis up and then you want to take all of this money and wipe the crisis away. But in in reality, what you're doing is creating more crisis down the road. You're just kicking that can down the road. Oh, don't deal with all of the debt that we have in the United States. Look, I'm fine if you have people who really are hurting. We don't want anybody to starve because they can't go to their job at a restaurant for the next several weeks. But is it really going to go on so long that people are going to just completely be unable to pay any of their bills? How much of this has to do with personal responsibility? How much of this has to do with not saving? How much of this has to do with genuine need? because of certain businesses closing. There are so many issues to talk about. We're going to get into more of it. But first, we'll take a break. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford. Did you know that persecuted believers are praying to receive their own Bible? Nepo is a pastor in Africa attacked while preaching by extremists, and he's praying for Bibles for former Muslims who are now following Christ. Ada was forced into an arranged marriage to an abusive atheist in Europe, but her godly witness led him to Jesus. Emilio lost everything after his home was burned by witches in Latin America, and he's praying for a Bible to share Christ with them. Will you be the answer to these pleas for God's Word and see many others come to faith? $5 sends one Bible. 
$35, send seven Bibles. And a limited time Bible for Bible match will help us reach our goal of sending God's word to 1,200 persecuted Christians. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or by clicking the Bible League banner at JanetMefford.com. 800-YES-WORD. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org JMT for more information. libertyhealthshare.org JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. I should also mention that a subject that is coming up on social media a lot is the issue of churches and whether or not churches should participate in these government, I guess we'll call them guidelines, suggestions for now, except in the state of California where it's mandated that if you reach a certain number of people in your gathering, I think it's 250 people in California, you're not allowed to get together. Well, this affects churches and there are Christians on both sides of the issue. There are Christians who are saying, well, we really should do the wise thing. If we have a pandemic, then you know we want to have an abundance of caution. We want to make sure that we don't run afoul of these guidelines because they're given for a good reason. And on the flip side, you're having a lot of pastors making comments. We need to keep the churches going because we have a Christian responsibility to be present during a pandemic. Jesus touched the leper and this sort of thing. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, the churches aren't treating coronavirus patients. It's kind of not working as an analogy. But what also comes up is money, because if the churches are not meeting, then people are not necessarily tithing. Not every single church has an online mechanism for tithing. And many people will just not ship in their checks. How do you pay the salaries of the church staff? How do you keep the lights on long term? I would hope that most churches could make it a few weeks. Uh, Again, it seems a little premature to be worrying about this too much. And yes, the missionaries still need to be funded. All of this is important, but I wonder how much of it really has to do with the fact that in many cases, when you're talking about megachurches, a lot of those megachurches are deep in debt and they have all sorts of reasons that they desperately need the cash flow in order to repay the debt on their loans for some of these gigantic auditoriums and buildings and so forth. So that'll be a subject that comes up down the road. But I want to return to the subject of totalitarianism because there's a good piece over at PJ Media that I appreciated. People are always wanting the government to do something in a crisis. And it's not that the government never should do anything, but the problem is government, especially in the leftist camp, tends to quickly become dictator-like and totalitarian and suspending things like habeas corpus. (laughs) Uh, Let's look at some of these that they've compiled. For example, a federal court in Washington 
unilaterally suspended the Fifth Amendment right to due process and Sixth Amendment guarantee of a speedy trial. Uh, There was a particular tweet that went out about this judge, Ricardo Martinez, and it says federal court denies due process and habeas corpus for all because of the coronavirus hysteria. The needs of the court outweigh the rights of the accused, according to this court. Okay, that's not good. Then you have the Palm Springs Desert Sun reporting the state of California is empowered to take over hotels, motels, and medical facilities in order to quarantine, isolate, or treat coronavirus patients per a multi-pronged executive order that was released by Governor Gavin Newsom. Uh, uh, They haven't quartered troops yet in people's houses, but is there not a problem with a government taking over private facilities by the force of an executive order? That is a violation of the Third Amendment. Then you have the Champaign, Illinois mayor violating the entire Bill of Rights, giving herself the power to ban the sale of guns, ammo, gasoline, alcohol, and utilities. This is Mayor Deborah Frank Finan, who proposes uh, in this executive order declaring an emergency that <laughs> this, uh, these ordinances, which would give the city extraordinary powers to violate parts of the Open Meetings Act, ban the sale of firearms and ammunition, ban the sale of any alcohol, close all bars, taverns, liquor stores, etc., Ban the sale or giving away of gasoline or other liquid flammable or combustible products in any container other than a gasoline tank permanently fixed to a motor vehicle. Direct the shutoff of power, water, and gas. Take possession of private property and obtain the full title. This woman's out of control or prohibit or restrict ingress and egress to and from the city. Really? We have 100 people dead. 100 people dead in a country of 330 million people. But this won't stop a leftist from being a leftist. And this is the problem. The Gatestone Institute points this out. China's real disease is not coronavirus, it's communism. And they get into a lot of the details on what actually transpired that brought us to this particular point in history. China, as we now know, allowed the coronavirus to spread for six weeks in December and January before President Xi Jinping publicly acknowledged the disease. So it's no surprise that Americans and the Chinese people who are now demanding fundamental political change realize that the real disease is communism. And you think about those doctors who tried to warn the world and they died and people who just disappeared who are trying to warn the world about coronavirus. Really? So do we want to imitate some sort of totalitarian impulse over here? Government will save us? No. No, 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 no. And I think of a few years back when you had that big flood in Nashville. You remember that? And... President Obama did not rush to help the people of Nashville because it's a more conservative city. And these people were going on social media and saying, we don't want the federal government here. We want to take care of our own city, neighbor to neighbor, friend to friend, family member to family member. We want to help ourselves. We don't want the federal government in our business all the time. And, you know, that's part and parcel of being an American. I think there is a time for the federal government to act. There is a time for the federal government to respond. We have people in the government for the purpose of restraining evil and doing other things to help its own citizens when their lives are in danger. There's a lot that could be done. But frankly, I liked Lindsey Graham's suggestion that maybe what we ought to consider is instead of giving $1,000 checks to everybody, maybe use some of that money to shore up the health care system in the event that this really does become a crisis in terms of having an overwhelmed hospital system from sea to shining sea. So we'll see how it all goes. 
I, I just, I think we can't panic. I think we need to continue to pray for our country. And as I was thinking about this this morning, it was so perfect. It was so perfect. I heard this little bird outside as I'm thinking about all this and going through all of this material. I hear this bird outside and I'm thinking of Jesus' words. You know, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. They don't worry about anything. They trust that their heavenly father will take care of them. And how much more are you worth than a sparrow? I thought, perfect, Lord. We always need to trust you. It's why Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. We are to daily depend on the Lord for all of our needs. And that does not change in this coronavirus crisis. I want to also remind you that we have the great privilege here at Janet Meffer today of partnering with Bible League to do something that transcends coronavirus as well, and that is to get the Word of God into the hands of persecuted Christians. I am so concerned when I hear about Christians who are in dire straits all across the world, the Middle East and in Africa and Asia and all these different parts of the world where you have persecuted Christians and churches under fire, and in particular in the Middle East, you think about everything that's going on there. Christians make up less than 5% of the population in the Middle East, and in most countries like Egypt and Jordan, the Muslim majority comprises more than 90% of the population. Now, you can understand what kind of effect that has, particularly on Muslims who come to know the Lord. I want you to hear a little bit from a man named Kareem in Egypt who discusses what it's like to be a Christian over there. This has got one. Evangelism is considered to be a crime here in Egypt. So you can worship freely. However, you cannot evangelize or speak to Muslims about your faith. Those are the sorts of laws that are very elastic. Uh, They can be bent. They are not very clear. On one day, you'd find the president saying that Egypt ensures the freedom of religion, of its people, and on the next day you would hear that the police raided uh, a church or maybe a a gathering uh, for Christians. If and when uh, you get caught uh, evangelizing Muslims, you can be arrested and most probably you will be taken to a, a prison where no one will know about you anymore. Of course, some people can face torture and being held up against their will. Their families would have a very hard time getting to know where they are. It's terrible. Then he explains how Muslims in Egypt come to Christ. This is cut to. So what typically happens is that a Muslim who receives a New Testament uh, would then start reading it and and engaging with it and then come back to, to this person uh, and get gets back to him with questions and discussions. Uh, and over the course of, of weeks and maybe months, they start believing and they start uh, developing their faith until they pray and surrender their lives to Jesus. Wonderful to hear about this. And despite persecution, believers in the Middle East have a really strong hunger for the Word of God, and they're finding strength and hope to remain faithful to the Lord in their Christian walk. Bible League's programs are active in the Middle East countries of Egypt, as you just heard, Jordan and Lebanon and South Sudan, so many other important countries that are not necessarily on our radar all the time. But this is a big ministry. And in the Middle East in 2018, did you know that over 158,000 thousand people were reached with the gospel by Bible League. Now, what we want to do through the end of April 
is send 1,200 Bibles to new believers in these very dangerous areas of the world. You know what the statistics are on persecuted Christians. We talk about that a lot on this show. We want to get Bibles to them. It costs $5 for one Bible, and a gift of $35 will send seven Bibles, and a gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles in the language of these new Christians to parts of Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Latin America, and Europe. And these are Bibles for new believers in Jesus who have gone through Bible League's Project Philip Bible Study. They put together the Gospel of John study and they teach them what Christianity is, who Jesus is, what it means to live for Jesus Christ and die to yourself. Bible League promises these believers a Bible in their own language at the end of the study where they profess faith in Jesus Christ and they're baptized and they are connected to a local evangelical church. And that's where you come in. If you can dial 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, 800-937-9673 and give your gift today. You'll help us get 1,200 Bibles to the persecuted church. And right now, because of a great matching gift, that number will be doubled. So if we can get 1,200 Bibles, it will actually be 2,400 Bibles with this match. We need your help. Dial 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Dial now, 800-YES-WORD, and we'll be right back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Bible League. Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. In Matthew 4, the Lord Jesus Christ was walking by the Sea of Galilee and called out to the two fishermen brothers, Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Why was it so important for the Lord to call men to follow him and to encourage them to fish for more men to follow him? Well, we understand why it's so important to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world and to see men grow and mature as his disciples. That goal is still vital. And my next guest is all about continuing that mission. Lonnie Berger is the global director of the TWR Men's Ministry and author of the Every Man a Warrior Discipleship Bible Study Series for Men. And he is here to tell us more about this great outreach. Lonnie, it's so great to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Well, Janet, thank you for having me on. And yes, you've said it correctly that in the midst of the global crisis we're facing, this is an opportunity for men to step up and be the men, the husbands, the fathers, the spiritual leaders that God wants us to be. And so the Every Man of Warrior Ministry has been preparing men in 33 different countries on how to walk with God, love their wife, train their children, manage money, how to be men of prayer, and uh, how to help others around them experience uh, the life of walking with Christ when they are going through hard times. And Janet, it is my hope that of the 40,000 men who have already gone through Every Man of Warrior, that every one of them will go to their neighbor and say, hey, are you afraid? Hmm. Well, God is here. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, 
I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. So mm-hmm. I'm encouraging men in the Every Man of Warrior ministry to go talk to their neighbors and tell them, God is here. This coronavirus has not caught him by surprise. Amen. That's so well said, especially now when we're seeing a lot of fear and a lot of panic. But well, talking about the issue of men being reached with the gospel and men in particular being important as you know, driving force for the advancement of the gospel and reaching a culture for Christ. Can you speak to that a little bit, Lonnie? Because nobody is saying women aren't important. We all know women are important, but in different ways. Why men? Why is this such a burden on your heart to reach men? And disciple men this way? Yeah, that's an excellent question. In um, the United States and around the world, the women have discovered that they can't move forward unless we change the hearts of men. We can't stop violence against women and children unless we change the hearts of men. And so many of the problems we have in our culture are because of men who are not doing what God would have them to do. 80% of the people living in poverty in the United States are single moms and their children. And that's a men's issue. So the Every Man of Warrior Ministry has grown so fast. We've gone into 33 countries in just nine years and in 13 languages. And one time I was asking the Lord about this. I got a half day in prayer, and I said, Lord, help me to understand what you're trying to do. And the Lord spoke to me in one of those rare times when I heard him speak, he said, Lonnie, the growth of every man a warrior is not because of you. But millions of Christian women have been begging me for decades, God, please help the men. And I feel like the women saw this. When I did church consulting for five years, I asked pastors about this. I'd say, what is the biggest problem in your church? And they'd say, well, we just don't have enough spiritually mature, qualified men to lead in the church, to lead the programs in the church. And when I asked them, what is your plan to build them? Most of them said they didn't really have one. And I had had that exact same experience when I uh, graduated from Bible school. I was trained to teach theology to men. But when I was teaching theology to men, I realized men were bored. Hmm. They didn't care. But when I asked them what was going on in their life, They said, Lonnie, my marriage is hurting, my children aren't doing well, money's tight, work is awful, and, uh, you know, when I'm really frustrated, I look at porn. And I realized that the theology from Galatians and Romans and Philippians and these good books of the Bible that I was trying to teach men wasn't really touching them where they lived. Hmm. And so that began to change my whole perspective that if we're going to get the men, if we're going to reach the men, we've got to help them learn how to walk with God and then succeed in life. And the Scripture has a lot to say about money, marriage, raising children, sex, work, and going through hard times. And that's what these men were begging me to help, to find help on. And that's how the Every Man a Warrior ministry was born. Well, there's so much packed into what you just said there, Lonnie, and certainly we have to talk about some of it at least, because when you have these building blocks of discipleship, as you talk about in Every Man a Warrior, the first and greatest commandment, as you point out, and and we know this from Scripture, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You say the love relationship that men have with God has to be fundamental. How do you get that across to men? How do you communicate what it means to have a love relationship with God? To confess Christ, we understand that, but to really love him and to want to serve him and be his disciple is a whole nother level of being a Christian. What, what do you tell men about that? 
Well, Janet, that's an excellent question, and it's a huge blind spot in the body of Christ. Because we teach men, and we preach at men, you should love God more, or you should love your wife better, or you should train your children. The problem is, we don't teach them how. And in Every Man a Warrior, the very first thing we teach men is how to spend daily time alone with the Lord in the Word and prayer. And we start them out at 15 minutes. The vast majority of Christian men have never been taught how to actually spend time with God. Hmm. And I had a pastor who had had about 1,500 men in his church go through Every Man a Warrior, and he expressed this at a pastor's conference. He says, where do the men in your church go to learn how to pray? Is there a Sunday school class on that? Because, you know, where do the men go to learn how to have a daily quiet time? Right. And so this is a skill, and in Every Man a Warrior, it's the very first skill we start men on. And we start them out at 15 minutes. Now, we did two years of field testing with Every Man a Warrior with more than 500 men. And at the end of the field testing, 80% of the men said that the thing that changed their life the most was just learning how to spend time alone with God by Hmm. being in the Word and meditating on the Word and writing down a thought or two and then praying back those thoughts to God. And what we've discovered is that when men spend time with God, God always shows up. Right. So when he begins to speak to them and he begins to show that he really does love them. And most men have never really experienced hearing God's voice or feeling his love because they've never been taught how to spend time with him. That's a tragedy that that has not been more of an emphasis in the church. And I hope that that's a challenge for a lot of pastors. When you are instructing men how to have a daily quiet time, what should be the components of that quiet time? Because certainly you could do a lot of things in 15 minutes. How much of it is Bible study? What books of the Bible would you recommend? How do you kind of get them started? Yeah, we start them out in the Gospels because our number one objective is for them to begin to talk and walk with Jesus. But the skills that we teach men is how to meditate on the Scripture. And this has been around for many years, but it's rarely taught. When you read a paragraph in the Bible, it's very simple to say, now, is there a command to obey, a sin to avoid, something new about God? Uh, They just ask some simple questions, and we help men begin to do that. And then we have them actually write down their key thought for the day, and that becomes a a time where just in meditating on the Word, they go, here's my one new best thought for the day, and that thought can stay with them throughout the day. (laughs) It is a skill. We develop it over three or four weeks, and then we maintain that skill, grow that skill over the 32 weeks that the whole course is. Book one is nine weeks, and it's just about walking with God, but we use that skill of meditating on the Word and praying back to God those key thoughts Uh, Throughout all three books, when we talk about marriage, raising children, money, sex, work, going through hard times, we use that skill and we grow this new lifelong habit over the nine-month period that is Every Man a Warrior. Well, that's wonderful. Do you find that that creates more of an appetite in these men to study the Bible further? Is that kind of the outcome that you see? Absolutely. In fact, not only to study the Bible, but to actually know the God of the universe. Perfect. To actually feel his love. And I think this is one of the tragedies that um, in parts of our Christianity, uh, knowing Bible information seems to be the goal. 
rather than knowing God from your heart. That's an important point. Yes, absolutely. We need to pause for a very quick break. We're going to come back with Lonnie Berger, every man a warrior, helping men succeed in life is his discipleship Bible study series. We'll come back to the conversation on Janet Meffer today after this. This is a story of a young mom in crisis who felt alone and desperate when finding out she was pregnant. After meeting with the counselors at Preborn and seeing her baby on ultrasound and hearing the heartbeat, she knew that life was the best choice. My mind changed completely from the abortion the first time that I visited. When a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, eight out of ten times, she'll choose life. I know God won't have wanted me to just throw out my blessings like that. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. Will you please join Preborn in providing love and support for young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies' lives. Just call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-BABY. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. If you're a medical professional, here's a way to move from success to even greater significance. Mercy Ships has an urgent need for pediatric registered nurses. You'll be joining dozens of volunteer medical professionals who've been blessed by the opportunity. I think all nurses should do something like this. To serve the unserved is one of the most beautiful experiences. Get more information by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. Mercy Ships, bringing hope and healing to the world's forgotten poor. From now through April, Janet Mefford today is partnering with Bible League to send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians around the world. Can you help? Your gift of $35 will send seven Bibles to Christians in need, and your gift of $100 will send 20 Bibles. And right now, with a matching gift, your gift will be doubled. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, I think it absolutely is the case that if you are to reach the culture for Christ, you have to reach the men. It's absolutely true. Men are vital and in so many ways. We're talking with Lonnie Berger today. He is global director of the TWR Men's Ministry and author of the Every Man a Warrior Discipleship Bible Study Series for Men. We were talking a little bit about this quiet time that you show men how to begin to have. Lonnie, and you had mentioned we don't want to just impart Bible information. We really want the men to have a deeper fellowship with the Lord, and that really is the goal. Why do you think so many men struggle with that? Is it is it a matter of the church not really addressing it? Is it a matter of they think that's more of a female thing to seek? What are your thoughts on that? No, the number one reason most men don't spend time with Jesus is no one ever taught them how. Now, it's a blind spot in the church. We have to teach skills to men. I uh, use the story in Every Man a Warrior how I taught my daughters to drive a car. If you want your children to learn how to be safe drivers, you've got to go out and teach them how, and you practice doing it with them. Right. It's the same with walking with God. We get a group of men, four to six men together, and we start them out at 15 minutes uh, in writing down their quiet time, meditating on the Word and praying. And then each week they begin to share what they feel God is teaching them. And this goes on for nine months. It's a skill that needs to be taught, developed, 
practiced and shared with other men. And so the reason I think this is so hard is because, one, we don't teach the skill, but secondly, the enemy fights against it. For sure. I've been having quiet times for 45 years, and I still, you know, the morning I get up and the enemy says, oh, you're too tired. Oh, you're too busy. Oh, you should run off to the office. You've got so much to do. And so the enemy is committed to trying to keep us away from our love relationship with God. And most men are oblivious to this. But after doing this for many years, I realize if I don't get my time alone with God, then my soul begins to weaken. So I think the number one reason is no one taught them how. The second reason is that the enemy fights against it. And I think the third reason is, is that if you're going to grow a new lifelong skill that the enemy is committed to defeating, you need a group of accountability. Yes. You need some other men who said, I want to help you and I, we want to both become the men God wants us to be. So we're going to encourage each other. And so that appropriate accountability is also important. That's excellent. Now, one of your other books, you've got three books here, but book two is on marriage and raising children. This is something that is also very important, the man's role in his family. What are some of the high points, Lonnie, that you think are important for men to understand about their role in the family? Well, Janet, let me give you the marriage commitment that men will memorize. It is my privilege to show my love for Jesus by caring for my wife to love her, show her honor, try to understand her, and to give up my life and rights for her. And men have to memorize that and say that to another man for 20 weeks. Now, when we field tested this, men would look at me with horror going, oh, Lonnie, this is hard. I just wanted to have sex. And, you know, we'd all laugh. But the truth is, God has a higher standard. And God wants us to love our wives in such a way that we obey his the commands of the scriptures, to understand them, to give up our life for them, and to love them in a way that they feel cherished. So throughout the world, we have seen that the scripture runs into culture. In South America, where there is this machismo, on average, every day in Latin and South America, nine women are killed by their husbands or significant other. Wow. And so when we started doing the marriage commitment to love her, show her honor, give up my life for her, men said, hey, this is hard. That's not the way I want to treat my wife. And yet over time, as they got to know the Lord, they began to realize the Lord was saying, no, this is how I want you to treat your wife. (laughs) So most men don't know their biblical job description. And so eventually they end up doing what the world has told them they should do in relating to their wives. And so this is why getting into the Scripture and memorizing these key passages on how does God want me to love my wife can eventually change a man. And wives have become some of our greatest uh, promoters, because when they see their husbands changing, they have hope. Sure. And their husbands begin to help around the house. Uh, Their husband begins to uh, ask for forgiveness for patterns that he knows are not right, as the Lord has spoken to him. Absolutely. And so many places our wives have just said, oh, Lonnie, I don't know what you're doing in that Every Man a Warrior group, but keep it up because my husband is changing. 
That's terrific. Exactly. I, I can imagine how many women are very, very glad that their husbands are studying this. You also talk about some of the practical things of life. You've mentioned this before, money and sex and work. and But you also talk about hard times and ultimately making your life count. Now, I have heard many, many times that one of the most important things for any man is to feel his purpose in life and to find that thing that gives him purpose. How do you move toward that, though? Because that's not something that you can read the Bible and it will spell out. You should have this career, Joe. You know, obviously that's something that the Lord has to reveal to you in the course of time. But how do you address that particular issue? Yeah, uh, Psalms 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. And I think most men, as they develop their walk with God, eventually they start talking to the Lord about decisions in life. And they begin to feel that the Lord is leading them. Sometimes it's from the scripture. Sometimes it's that still small voice. Sometimes it's through God opening doors or shutting doors. But once a man begins to have a vibrant daily walk with God, he begins to talk to God about each one of these issues. And that's when God begins to respond. So I think, um, first of all, when we develop our love relationship with God first, that becomes the foundation then for growing into the man that God wants us to be, also the husband and the father. And then it also becomes the place where we begin to discern, God's got a purpose for me. God wants to use my life. And that's when we begin to see that, hey, one of the things that God has commanded all of us to do is to go make disciples. And we have about 50% of the men who go through Every Man a Warrior who will go on and lead an Every Man a Warrior group the next year. Great. Because they realize this is what men need. And they say, I want to go do this with other men. In fact, we've had literally hundreds of men say, Lonnie, if someone had done this with me, Uh, Before I ruined my first marriage, before I scarred my kids, my life would have turned out totally different. Hmm. And so, yeah, men go on and say, hey, I want to help some younger men not make the mistakes I've made. And so they actually learn then how to disciple other men. Well, that's that's what it's all about. And I, I want to shout out the website, by the way, everymanawarrior.com. You can get more information there. Lonnie, for men who might be listening right now who say, boy, I'd really be interested in doing this, or even somebody who said, I've gone through these books and I'd like to be able to start a group at my own church or with my small group. How do you facilitate that? How do you make that happen? Well, we wrote the curriculum so that every man can actually start and lead a group. The first page of every lesson in every book is called The Leader's Guide, and we made it so that any man could go and start this group. But you can go to our website, and we have uh, a number of training videos under resources that you can listen to. How to Get Started Right is actually in the book. Before you, uh, When you get a book one, you, it asks you to go through How to Get Started Right, the training video on that. Or you can call the Every Man a Warrior office. That number is on our website as well. And Talk to John, who will walk you through how to get started and how to start a group in your church. That's terrific. Have you seen a difference in the lives of the men who have gone through the curriculum and then go back to their families, go back to their churches? What have you seen happen and seen God do in the lives of some of these men? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, we've had so many men who are on the verge of divorce. And because uh, they got started in Every Man a Warrior, their wives saw the changes and began to have hope. We had one couple in Detroit. She literally took off her wedding ring, threw it down, and said, I'm done. And he, in fear, that next Sunday at church, 
got involved in every man a warrior group and instead of just watching tv and drinking beer he started having a daily quiet time memorizing his verses and all of a sudden his wife began to notice that he had radically changed and it took about a year but they took the divorce papers that she had drawn up with her lawyer they hmm. took it to the pastor and she said we're going to burn these together because now I have hope that our marriage can work. Wow, that's so wonderful to hear. And and you can just imagine how many more men would benefit from going through these books and learning how to have a deep, deep fellowship with the Lord and live that out in their lives. So people can check it out, everymanawarrior.com. You can learn more about these wonderful discipleship materials for men. Maybe even consider doing this inside your church, starting a group of your own. So check it out. It's everymanawarrior.com. Well, Lonnie Berger, so good to have you here. Wonderful to talk to you and keep up the good work. This is just a wonderful effort that you're involved in. Thank you, Jen. It's my privilege. Thank you very, very much. One more time, it's everymanawarrior.com. Thank you for listening to Janet Mefford today. We'll see you next time.